Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are our own, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we have a special guest, Major Eric Rye. Eric, thanks for coming on the cast. Can you give us a quick intro? Sure. Uh, first, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, the parts of my you know background that are germane to this particular podcast are uh, I have a, a couple of master's degrees from Naval Postgrad School in Applied Math and Computer Science. Um, I taught computer science following my time at NPS uh, for three years at the United States Naval Academy. Um, and following that, for three years, I spent um, some time on a DoD uh, development program where I was a, a developer on my, my day-to-day job. Um, since summer of last year, I've led a development organization at Mar4 Cyber with my colleagues uh, Hutch, who's an alumnus of this show, uh, and Virginia. Hutch is a co-founder of the Marine Coders, uh, and if you're a Marine out there, just to put a plug out for them, uh, and you know how to sling code, please take a look at the Marine Coders and see how you can get involved. Uh, Virginia is a huge fan of the podcast and wanted to give her a shout out. Awesome. Well, that's quite the pedigree for a guest on the show. I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, uh, wow. We're, we're, we're doing the uh, we're not worthy motions right now as we talk. Wayne's world. Uh, thanks. I, I, I cer- certainly don't deserve that, but thank you. Awesome. That is quite a dated reference, Rich. I'm a dated type of guy. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. So uh, kind of jumping into it uh, since our last cast. Kyle and I have been thinking about many things, uh, which is no surprise to those who know us uh, personally. And so two thoughts kind of prompted our discussion today and for uh, bringing Eric on the cast. The first is a current cybersecurity event, which we will get into detail about very soon. So I'll hold those comments as we uh, for the future part of the cast as we jump into it. And then the second is a need for a formal requirement for software development in the Marine Corps. Yes, you heard me say that formal requirement. We'll talk about that uh, very soon. So not surprisingly, these two topics are related. Uh, And to be honest with you, I am wickedly fired up about these topics. Uh, So uh, those who are fans of the cast, knife hands abound. There might be more than one uh, towards the end. Uh, So let's jump right into it, guys. Uh, So I guess I'll, I'll kick it off and just say, after watching an amazing team of Marines and civilian Marines demo uh, a minimal viable product that has huge potential. I asked the typical leadery type questions, right? Like, quote, what do you need from me? End quote. And quote, again, how can I help you? End quote. Uh, So while the questions are not super surprising coming from a Marine leader, I think most of us ask these questions to our platoons, our companies, our battalions, our regiments, um, you know, as we work through challenging problems that we're facing, uh, the responses from them were were surprising, at least to me. uh, And I think also they're unique and unexpected, which is where uh, our guest Eric comes in. And so uh, I want to ask Eric this question. So Eric, since you are leading this software initiative that I'm referring to, um, which is a pretty basic web app, can you explain why you uh, and your team responded the way you did to those questions, uh, just so we can level set the audience. Over to you. Sure. Uh, so the, the people that know me know that I, I have a lot of soapboxes that I like to get on, but um, this one this one's definitely my favorite. If I were trapped on a, a desert island, I can only bring one soapbox with me. Getting you know, uniform marine developer, you know, capability developers would, would be the one that I take. Um, so as, as the leader of a development organization, you know, my mission, uh, my KPI is, is to deliver capabilities to the customer you know, that, that provide them with value, that provide them, that allow them to do the things that they need to do. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that um, where we're currently at with my developer organization is that the several Marines, uh, uniform military folks that I've been able to um, scrounge together by hook and by crook throughout the command um, are out cycling some of their, their contractor colleagues. And so uh, when Rich asked me, you know, what he could do for my team, uh, the first thing that came to my, my mind was, was help in creating a, a capability developer MOS um, and then building both the force structure in terms of the BICs uh, and, uh, you know, associated uh, things that go along with that. Hey, so I've got a follow up for you. So you're saying, hey, what, what could you do? Give me more uniformed guys, which I can understand why Rich would be confused because I, I may be as well. Help me understand why that was your answer. Did that have a lot to do with 
a mindset thing or do you get military guys that come from a very structured uh, background so you get a very consistent and reliable product? Yeah, these these are great questions, and and for people that aren't in the cyberspace field, you may you know not realize that this is a pretty loaded, controversial question uh, where where we work. Um, I wouldn't say most, but many senior leaders that I've talked to uh, think that we we probably don't need military devs, um, and a significant uh, proportion of them, you know, it's, it's are probably on the fence and could go either way about having actual uniform capability developers in the Marine Corps. So just kind of level set everybody uh, with with what our you know capability force uh, capability development uh, force structure looks like. Um, as of the middle of 2021, when Hutch Virginia and I all showed up to our development organization that we work in now, um, the the entirety of our of our development labor force was contract based. Um, whether that means that they, they we contract them to develop and deliver a finished product to us, or whether that means that um, some company provides us with uh, labor that we can on-demand task um, in the building, we, we, we do both of those things. Um, we are the only service that, that follows this model. Every other service has significant numbers of uniform military developers. Um, the Army's 17 Delta, for example, um, is an MOS uh, for, for capability developers. The, the Navy has the Cyberspace Warfare Engineers, the CWE MOS, uh, and there, there's sim- a similar MOS in the Air Force as well. Um, so since Hutch, Virginia, and I all are li- arrived in the middle of, of last year, we've, we've made military developers a primary push. Um, Hutch, from his time uh, with the Marine coders, knows you know how much uh, you know the average uh, or uh, you know some of those Marines out there that have a technical background can do um, when we apply their talents to, to problems that we have. And myself, um, from my previous dev experience and from from teaching a lot of the second lieutenants and captains that are that are uh, you know at Mar Four Cyber today, I know what these kids are capable of. Uh, and we know that Marines can contribute in a significant way. So your question is, you know, why why should we have uh, uniform capability developers? We already have contract developers. Are, 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 are we not getting everything that we could possibly get with a just contract developer force? Uh, and the answer is yes. There's, there's definitely more that we could get. Um, what uniform developers bring to the table uh, are, you know, several fold. But, you know, the, the high points here are, are consistency. Um, we get, you know, Marines that have orders to our development organization and they're there for three plus plus years, you know, uh, maybe more if they do a follow on tour. Um, contract labor, uh, typically has, you know, times out after, you know, three or four months of the, the contractors that I, that I've seen at the, uh, at Mar 4 Cyber for the, the six or seven months that I've been there. Only, only two of them have been there the entirety of, of my time there. Um, so, you know, try to run an infantry platoon when you're when you're platoon sergeant to quit tomorrow. It's just you know it's it, it's hard to do that when you don't have the kind of consistency in your labor force. Um, a second thing that, that the Marines tend to bring into uh, to the developer uh, you know equation is is the buy-in uh, and ownership that they take over the project. So when Rich was talking about this project that he got a demonstration of, uh, I literally cannot keep these guys out of the building. They're texting each other asking, "Hey, can we go in tonight? Uh, you know, I, hey, I had this idea of something I want to try." Uh, I have a captain that works for me that literally tried to go in on the morning that his wife was giving birth because she was going into the hospital in the afternoon. Um, it's it's uh, the the dedication these guys have is 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 unreal. John wouldn't know anything about that, would you, John? <laughs> I would not even know a little bit about that. That sounds ridiculous. Who would do that? How many hours until your child is born, John? <laughs> three three As hours. Of this podcast recording three hours. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Um, contractors, on the other hand, you know they're they're great, and I, I love the contractors that work for me. But you know they're literally guns for hire. This is what we pay them to do, and uh, you know they do great work. But if there's a better opportunity that rolls around for them personally or for their family, they're they're going to leave, and I I don't I don't blame them for that. It's the nature of the business. Um, and and you know finally uh, we need to increase the technical you know talent pool in our in our force. Uh, the type of work that we do in the cyberspace, uh, you know, arena is is hard. It's hard technical work, and it demands people that are that are smart uh, to be doing that work. And I think that it really it, it serves us poorly to pass that work off, to outsource that, uh, you know, outsource that work to people. Uh, we need to feel comfortable doing hard ch- the hard challenging work that needs to be done to defend our nation. And so that's that's why I'm I'm so so passionate about getting uh, uniform developers in the building working for me. Yeah. So Eric amazing right like so where i'm gonna like kind of like (laughs) amplify the passion here right i just want to double click on something you said i think it was the first reason that you gave for having you know we're mentioning uniformed developers right just just so for our audience like what we mean is like actual people wearing 
the DOD uniforms of their respective service component, right? Thus, we're just saying uniform, just to be very clear. But, you know, the Marine Corps has this ethos of every Marine a rifleman. And we send, no matter what your follow-on military occupational specialty is going to be, we send every Marine through marksmanship training, and we send every Marine through basic infantry platoon, infantry offense and defensive tactics training. Why? Not only because every Marine could get put in that scenario where they'd have to use those skills on a day-to-day basis, but more importantly, if your follow-on MOS is not infantry, you know exactly what the infantry personnel are doing and how to support them innately. There's no additional training you need. You know that a mortarman does indirect fire, right? So how would you support them from your MOS if you're logistics, if you're calm, if you're, you insert MOS there, you just innately know. And so I, I really think that what Eric said, you know, as the first reason for why we need uniform developers is because they know, they know innately what the mission takes from a Marine Corps perspective uh, and how to take skills from an engineering perspective and through code solve problems for the rest of the Marine Corps. Now, I get that just like uh, MARSOC, right, or the Marine Corps component that provides critical skill skills operators to the uh, Special Operations Command, right? MAR4 Cyber provides critical skilled people in cyber to the joint service component, which is US Cybercom, right? Everybody knows that that's kind of the mission set. So when I say, you know, Marines innately know what other Marines know, I, I would also argue that Marines, because they go through this training, if they have a coding skill set, they kind of know how they're going to support the joint component when they come into these roles in MAR4 Cyber, right? And then get augmented out to a joint unit. So, you know, I really have to say that, like, we, we, I say we, the Marine Corps as a service component generally gets how to do integrated planning, how to do integrated operations from like an old domain perspective, because that's just the nature of the Marine Corps. That's kind of our unique niche contribution uh, to the joint force. So why would we not apply that logic to cyberspace as a domain of warfighting, right? So uh, again, I could I could rant here for a while uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about this, but like, John, what are your thoughts here, brother? Actually, Eric, I want to take the chance here to kind of challenge you a little bit or get a clarity on your last answer. So you said you said you love the passion and the people coming in, and I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Um, but you did mention, hey, if people don't like it and they're contractors, they can just throw the deuces and be gone. And I do kind of wonder. A lot of our systems are not based on quick feedback loops, and I kind of wonder if is that a bug or is that a feature? Does that not possibly force us to be better? Because if we had people that just, hey, you're here for three years, whether you like it or not, I can I can do terrible software development practices. I can align you with the ex- exact wrong things. Um, how do you think about maybe turning that challenge into uh, an opportunity, or is there maybe a little something that I missed there? No, I I, I think that there there you know there there is some some truth in what you're saying. Um, you know, but I but I'd also ask, you know, if, if we decide to make a minor, you know, let's imagine that we're building a building or something and we decide to make some minor modification because that's, you know, that's just what we have to do. Our building needs to change in some minor way. Yeah, having your entire workforce leave because they, they don't, you know, particularly want to work on that, on that change would be, you know, incredibly damaging. Um, uh, you know, imagine trying to, to build a bridge, but, uh, the people that started building the bridge are, are no longer there when you're halfway across the river, the sort of, you know, continuity, I think that, that uniform developers, um, bring to the equation, uh, greatly out, outweighs perhaps the, um, the, the downsides there. So I'm going to take a, a slightly different track here just for all the listeners. Please realize that, uh, I'm about to play a role. Because every single one of us on this cast right now has had conversations similar to this with Marine Corps leaders now or in the past. And 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and just call this a tale as old as time because I've been out for quite a while and I remember having these very same debates. So I'm going to put my uh, Sergeant Major from Generation Kill hat on for a quick second and just try to argue against absolutely everything that we've heard in the past. And if that is a dated reference for you and you are a Marine, please stop. Either go read Evan Wright's book, Generation Kill, or go watch the HBO miniseries. It is hours of good fun. Um, and so l- yeah. let's... Or Nate Fix one bullet away. And mm-hmm. I want to say that Kyle did not completely get into the role because he is rocking a goatee and an out of regs haircut. I know you all can't see that, but this is important to the, That's right. This but is important to the background. is out of regulations. That's right. That's right. It's important. All right. So, all right. Real talk here. How in the world are we going to make these Marines? If I'm going to turn your average high schooler off the street into a cyber coder, I need years. And all I've got is four to five off their enlistment. Six plus of that is burned up with boot camp and MCT. Then I got to go to MOS training. I mean, how much how much real time am I going to get out of somebody like this when when they can just leave? Yeah, ex- exactly. And that, that's that's the con- that's these, these are the types of questions that you know, like you said, we we field a lot. Um, the mental model that you've described, you know, how do I how do I mold this this clay amorphous figure into, you know, a a, a super coder, you know, is is the wrong mental model in my opinion. Um, how do we make these Marines? By and large, they already exist, and they already exist in the command. They're just not they're just not you know put in place to solve these hard technical challenges that we that we have right now. Um, you know, I've picked up Marines from the command that were uh, you know building briefing products or, you know, delivering, you know, staffing things or they're on a staff and not to diminish anything about those jobs, but I don't have my, my doctor, for instance, like mow my lawn. This is about putting the people that have the right talents in the right place to, you know, to, to follow on with the, the commandant's talent management 23. This is about taking these people that have these deep technical skills and applying them to the hard problems that, that we have for them. Of all of the Marines that work for me right now, only one of them is formally trained. I have a Lance Corporal that reads the Linux kernel source code for fun on the weekend and comes to work and talks about it. Uh, I have a, a sergeant who's training machine vision algorithms on his spare time to detect trees because he wanted to learn how you know TensorFlow works, for example. So we don't need to take these kids from nothing and build them up into something. Well, I, I agree with you to some extent that you're always going to find great outliers, and especially with the modern, you know, the generation that we have today, you're always going to find some tech savvy people. But you're never going to find enough people who want to read the Linux kernel on the weekend to actually be effective. You've got to have some sort of formal training program that can take somebody that is just you know avid on you know their high school or pre-college technical courses and you got to be able to turn them into a coder like that that is no small feat yeah so i I, i'll add i think i'll try to jump in here kyle and and eric and you guys tell me what you think but like it's it's a sergeant major kyle right now just throwing it out there uh, sorry (laughs) it behooves you to remember (laughs) the rank of title okay all right yeah um okay so (laughs) coming back in right I, i i honestly think that when we talk about these types of talent pools we also have to talk about scale Right. And I think, Kyle, you probably have the best experience with scale um, (laughs) from a technology perspective than all of us. But I don't know. And Eric, just really interested to get your opinion on this. I don't know that we're looking to scale coders across the Marine Corps like we are with the top three MOSs of infantry, logistics, communications. Right. I'm not saying we the Marine Corps potentially has to like, you know, go to the Marine Corps Communications Electronics School and learn computer science in five weeks, right? And then at the end of those five weeks, you're a 10,000 hour coder and you're going to get sent to this like really, really, really high speed, you know, the equivalent of the cyber domain, you know, MARSOC unit. And then you're going to be performing these like special operations in cyber, uh, just like we would do with our critical skills operators, right, that come out of MARSOC, right? So I, I do think, I just want to pause there for a second, because I don't know that the Marine Corps has a requirement to scale coding, right? But I do believe that the Marine Corps has a requirement for coding. Um, so, yeah. Um, go ahead, John. You yeah. look like you want to say something. Yeah, so I want to add to this. So Kyle's question specifically was, how do we make these Marines? And you guys went down one path, but I want to go down another one of, because Rich hit 29 Palms or wherever you want to talk about that we're going to send to train these guys. I want Eric's feedback on, do we even try this? Because I I have tried to learn code multiple different times. And the one thing I can tell you about learning code is there is 
600 million different ways that you can try to do so. Do we even think it is a smart call to try to send Marines to some MOS school, most likely in some hot desert, to try to go and learn to do this? Or should we think about this recruit and it kind of like initially onboard in a different way if like Eric's king for the day? Yeah, if Eric were king for the day, I mean, like I said, these people already exist in the command. This is why these people that transferred into the cyberspace off field in a lot of cases, um, because they had a passion for this. They were computer science undergrads or, you know, they've automated everything in their house or whatever. This is the sort of technical work that we that they wanted to do. Um, and then if we want to retain them, and I'll get into that here in a second, this is the sort of work that we have to give them. Um, because our, our problems are many. We, we're not short on problems. We're, we're, we're short on uh, you know, putting the right people in the, in the right place to solve those problems. Um, and so to answer your question, no, I don't think that for them, you know, the scale does not demand that we make any of these people. They already exist. Maybe we need to apply some finishing touches to them. Um, but that's my, that's my mental model for how this will work. So then is your goal to just recruit from the existing sort of self-nomination process? Like at what point as a Marine comes into the force, can they say, I want to go be a cyber coder or I want to go join these teams? And then how does that impact the rest of the force when you have, I don't know, a thousand Marines that say they want to come do this? Is this just a competitive selection board similar to any other, uh, you know, special billeted program or warrant officer program or something like that? With where we're at now, it's mostly a self-nomination kind of things. So, you know, people will find me or, or I, I hear rumor of um, some wizard, you know, somewhere uh, that's stuck at a desk uh, creating a PowerPoint. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, eventually if we if we scale up to the, the point that we need, you know, hundreds of people or whatever, there are training programs that we can put people through. Um, but for now, it's, it's you know, me finding the right people and putting them in the right place is, is, the, is how we're going about this. I just think that, you know, to Rich's point here, if we're trying to talk about formalizing this process, we have to start thinking about scale. This is, this is, you know, Sergeant Major hat on or whatever right now, like this is literally what keeps me up at night working with, you know, large companies in the outside sector as well as so they're like, oh, we just want to throw this one little bit in there. And I go, okay, I, I totally understand that. But what about a year from now? What about six months from now? What about when you need to double or triple or quadruple the size of this organization or more like these, these wheels fall off the bus. And I acknowledge that you got to start somewhere. Crawl, walk, run is powerful. To totally agree. Um, and luckily, as, as I said before, we're the first, we're the only service that doesn't have uniform developers now. And so we can look to our sister services here. They've already, you know, for the most part, at least started cracking the nut if they haven't, you know, fully done so. Uh, the army, the army has a, a a program that they put, you know, developers that take them from hello to the world to, you know, doing much more complicated sort of things. Yeah, I think one thing to, to comment on here, too, is, you know, just looking at, you know, what the commandant of the Marine Corps has done. Right. So if we just go back and look at some data points, right, the commandant has said, I'm going to trade the overall end strength size of the Marine Corps. Like, like, I think I think we mentioned this before in a previous cast, but he's the only commandant that I'm tracking that's deliberately reduced the size of the force to gain money back in order to invest in capability sets. Whether that capability is like a weapon you buy off the shelf, right, or additional personnel right, in order to, to go there, right, and get that outcome that you want from a capability perspective. I think, you know, to, to Eric's point, I, I think we, we need to think about that in relation to, to this problem set, right? Like, and what I mean by that is Eric's point of like, there's a joint solution here. I mean, we've talked about this in the past from a DevOps perspective, right? Like, does it make sense for every single service component to create a platform as a service to write, store, and deploy code? Or does it just make sense to use taxpayer dollars to make a joint solution that every coder out of the service components could just write code and deploy into testing, dev, and production environments, right? So like we've we've I think we talked about this before too, also in regards to like the the chief uh, information officer or software officer for the Air Force, right? Um, that you know Nick Shalon, that is, you know, got so frustrated, for lack of a better phrase, right? And he moved on because these challenges are not trivial, right? And and it's also a new concept. So I mean, new to the DoD. So I, I just throw that out there. I think Eric's point is kind of um, really salient here because we might not need to create a Marine Corps school with all the dollars and resources and things, we could use the joint schools 
And I think what we then do as officers, right, and staff NCOs, to your point, Sergeant Major Kyle, is we sit down and typey type the things that say, okay, here's the training and readiness standards for this MOS, right? Uh, and then we we send those folks off to the sister school to, you know, or joint school to become a qualified person. Um, so, so anyhow, I, I throw that out there because um, – I think this is the exact discussion. This is one of the reasons that we created the Phoenix cast was to have these discussions to create a platform to talk about the hard problems when it comes to technology solutions. So, so yeah, Kyle, I, I know, you know, Eric mentioned retention. I know you have some questions about that. So I'm going to turn it back over to you. Uh, and this the last thing I'd like to, I'd like to mention too, that, I mean, there's tons of resources out there in the, you know, civilian side of things too, like Udemy, you know, Coursera, Code Academy, where people can, you know, sort of plus up their skills where, you know, without the, the, the burden of a, a full formal school. Uh, and then, you know, based on, based on how well they do in that, you know, that could be like the basis of their, their self-nomination, for instance, to, to come and work uh, in, in a development shop like mine. So then I'm going to come to you with a very classic argument now, which is how do we retain these people? We know that if we spend all this money and all this time to train up Marines and then they end up only having two or three years left on their contract, that as soon as they're done, they can leave. They can beat it. They can get into the outside world and make 10 times what they're making, you know, leave on a Friday as a Marine, show up on a Monday as a civilian with a goatee and purple hair and make 10 times the money they were making in the Marine Corps. How do we stop that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. So this, this argument, I think, uh, first of all, assumes, at least in the Marine Corps, that we're, we're retaining the contract labor that we already have, which is not something that's true. Um, it assumes that we're retaining the people that have these sorts of talents that want to be put in a technical work role aren't leaving, which they are. In fact, t- to tell a vignette about a, a captain that just left recently, he had requested to go do technical work for, for years. Um, finally got fed up with being told no and has already started working for me as a contractor. Had we just given him this work as a Marine, he'd be doing it right now and he'd be, you know, bought in like a Marine would, would be bought in area. Are my Marines are bought in. Um, so we need to give these guys hard, meaningful work to do. Um, when I ask my, my, my Marines what's going to keep them in, they say they want to be challenged. They want to know that they're part of a team that's making an impact. And literally none of them has ever asked for more money. Um, and finally, we don't necessarily even need to retain them. I mean, these people leave uh, after we've trained them up and given them great skills, and uh, they can certainly work for us and provide value in the mar- in the reserves as well. So I've got a follow on for you here. Uh, so tracking on the retaining and that, and, and I agree with you that not it shouldn't be a goal to have a hundred percent retention, or that is not how or how the Marine Corps is structured, anyways. So that is unrealistic. Uh, but is this, are you saying that now is the time we could maybe do some of that TM2030 stuff? It, for instance, do you think developer is maybe the time where Major Eric Rye says, hey, I love this. I don't want to go ascend through the MOS to be lieutenant colonel and colonel and then kind of branch out and no longer just do development. Like I stay Major Eric Rye. Or same thing, maybe you're enlisted Marines, because generally what happens with the enlisted Marines is you hit, give or take, based on the MOS, uh, Staff Sergeant, Gunnery Sergeant, most most likely Master Sergeant, you stop being a specialist and you ver- you converge several MOSs into one. So E8, Master Sergeant, would be when you would probably stop coding. Are you saying that now this, this is an opportunity, you think, for TM2030, where people have the ability to just develop for 10 years if they want to? Uh, unequivocally, in my own you know, personal case here, I would have stayed a captain if my hands were on the keyboard every day, yes. And have you, have you, have you posed this question, like just real quick follow-up, have you posed this question to any of your compatriots? Are, are you the only one who thinks like this? Or have you heard this a couple times that, hey, if you let me stay, whatever, but I get to do this, I'm in? I'm racking my brain and I cannot think of any Marine who has told me that they would not stay if they were allowed to do technical work every day. Uh, not, they would, they would pass up promotion. Um, you know, they would, yeah, they would forego any, they don't want to command necessarily, right. They just want to be doing the hard technical work that they know that we can, that they can do and, and that we need. So I want to double click on what Eric just said there, because I'm going to share a personal anecdote along the same path. 100% in my experience and Eric's experience of those pulled, in other words, people we've worked with would forego a promotion to stay doing the technical work. Let that sink in. 
I, as a young staff sergeant, was basically promised that I would be not technical in my next promotion. And I noped out so fast. If I would not have been selected for the warrant officer program to stay technical, I would have left the Marine Corps. And let me be very clear again with a personal anecdote. My opinions are my own and not those, not those of the Marine Corps or anybody else. I got out as a warrant officer, because my next promotion would have taken me out of the technical. And here I sit, John and Rich, your thoughts of this? Yeah. Uh, so Kyle, I'll jump in first. So first off, I, I want to go, I want to take what both of you and Eric have said, and I want to rephrase it a little differently, right? <clears throat> I want to state, I think, an ob- make an obvious statement. While that is potentially a problem. Is it a problem for the Marine Corps, right? And the reason I bring this up is because I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are many senior leaders that believe in the Marine Corps. Oh my God. If a Marine does not want to get promoted, then we have failed as an institution. We have morally done something so incomprehensible that we therefore should pause the making of Marines, go look at what we, for lack of a better phrase, effed up and figure that out. I I just don't understand why this is a problem for some of our, you know, and I include my peer group in, in, in in this statement, why this is a problem for leaders in the Marine Corps. You have passionate, trained Marines that want to stay Marines wearing the tree suit, to use that phrase. And we are concerned. Yeah, I almost want falsetto there, I think. We are concerned that they want to stay in the Marine Corps but don't want to get promoted. They want to stay doing what they're doing, technically on keyboard. I I think this gets to the heart and soul. And and I'll be honest with you, everybody audience and, and, and our casters directly, I think people use the commandant's, you know, talent management 2030 document for whatever reason they see fit, right? Like insert reason, I'm going to use this as an example to get the thing I want. But but I legitimately have to say, this is not me doing that. This is me saying, you have a motivated civilian who went through boot camp. We've invested millions of dollars in to make a Marine. They've been a Marine for a while. They, they understand all the things and now they don't want to get promoted. They just want to keep doing the things that, that like help defend the nation. And we're saying, no, no, no. Hey, listen, you need to go do some other things you're not qualified for, right? We want to promote you, give you more money, make you a leader, have you deal with people, leader and people management problems when your skill set is technically oriented. I just don't, I just don't get it guys. I don't. So John, like, Help yeah. me try to get this or, or, or insert whatever you'd like to say next. I, I will happily balance uh, your your argument here. So here's, you know, my my history, uh, you know, started generalist commo. I could not barely touch a single piece of gear and actually make it work as a lieutenant. Uh, and then I went full bore, learned a bunch of things as a captain, all the way to, I did not make it to CCIE, but I studied all, to, all the way to CCIE level concepts on routing and switching. So there's no lack of technical love uh, in my being. But one thing I would say, or the reason why I chose not to do what Kyle did, which was get out or, uh, try another path, why I stayed unrestricted and why I wanted to keep getting promoted is because in general, the, the goodness that Eric has, and ultimately his expertise is going to get us to a place where he's going to have a recommendation for to do this thing. I got to do this or to change this thing. We got to go here. And, you can't stay a captain or a major and fix that problem as a captain or a major. You need somebody who is going to come up through the ranks, who is going to be technical enough to understand these things and implement those types of solutions. And you need somebody with a high enough rank to get that and be passionate about it and advance those causes. Uh, I don't think it's for everyone, but I think there is a balance to that of you can still have that same level of passion and want to do those types of things. Uh, but go the more traditional route because you're going to need those champions. And if all of those champions are, I want to be generalist guys, or I wish I was infantry, but they made me calm or cyber and I made the best of it, 
they're not going to be the people that can advance what Eric's trying to do. Yes. So, so John, I, I completely agree. This is not really for everybody, right? The statements that, you know, we, we've made previously that like, I can just, I mean, I think I saw Mar admin. You, you probably could, anybody on the cast or, or the audience can Google this about like, you know, stating you don't want to be promoted. The Mar admin just came out like last week, right? Like the process of like how to not get promoted uh, if you're an officer, I think it was officer related. Um, and, and again, I could be uh, incorrect there, but my point is you're right. We do have to have the leaders that are willing to get promoted, go up the rank, and at those level, call them boxing matches, right? That, that they can wear the belt, the big shiny belt that is the you know the equivalent of the collar rank insignia. That's like I'm going to carry this burden for the organization, and I'm going to come off keyboard, and I'm going to do the things that are necessary, right? Because uh, this is this is where I want to go later when we talk about requirements, but. Uh, but but I agree with you. I, I think you're 100 percent percent spot on that we do need to promote people. So this it's not for everybody. I'm just saying, like, let's be honest. When you get to the top of the pyramid, right? Even in the widest swath MOS of infantry, it's very narrow at the top. So I, I don't think that we have. My point in this entire kind of conversation is, I don't think we have the perceived problem that many people perceive as like a pandemic. Like we know what a pandemic looks like. We're in one physically right now, right? From from like a biological perspective, we don't have a pandemic on our hands with cyber folks wanting to stay technical and stay in the Marine Corps. But but again, I think that that's Rich's opinion. I throw that out there again. But uh, but yeah. So so anyhow, you know, we, we we've kind of <laughs> I think beat beat the drum just on this a lot. One quick one though, just to make sure that it's clear. I don't think this is a binary transaction. Like there is a right or a wrong answer. You either fall in the John or the rich camp. I think it takes both of those answers to get where we need to go. Um, and to kind of just say, Hey, look, the right answer is this one or this one. I think that is short-sighted or wrong. Kyle, your thoughts. I want to take my Sergeant Major hat off here for a second. Um, <laughs> just cause I want to give my own personal opinion here on this because I, it's been killing me for like 20 minutes. Um, okay. So, to Rich's point, I had a sergeant major communications uh, chief, I guess uh, would be the official title back in the day, Sergeant Major Patrick Cutlip, the most influential leader in my entire life, personally. Um, and this guy was a sergeant major. And his thing was like, they can't promote me anymore. I don't need to care about my fit rep. I'm only here to do what I know to be right. And like he had to go, you know, 22 years in the Marine Corps to get to that level. But now that he was there, he gave no Fs. You know what I mean? He was there to do the right thing, to train Marines the right way, to push the right initiatives. And he was amazing. I like hated him a lot because he made my life hell, but in the best possible way, the way that only great leaders can, um, you know, and that hatred grew to love. And here's the E true Hollywood story of, of, of Kyle's progression here. But I'll say this, when we interviewed General Reynolds, DCI, she said something that has stuck with me since that moment. She said, I don't really think it's a, mo a money problem. I think if we we already have Marines who are passionate, we already have Marines who want to stay and want to help, want to do the mission. What we have is no way for them to stay doing what they love, right? Like you do two years at a duty station, three years at a duty station, you move on and you don't get any say in where you go or what that unit is going to do or if your skills are even remotely qualified for that, right? And that's where having an MOS that you can say, hey, I get it. You want to stay on the on the cutting edge of nerdery in the Marine Corps? We got you, fam. That alone, I think, would lead to massive, massive retention uh, of the most talented individuals that we have. Of all the people that Eric is, you know, by hook or by crook recruiting into his organization, they'd have an ability to like move and stay. And I don't mean physically stay, right? We want to give them geographic diversity and, and command diversity, but but skill set retention, right? Skill set maintenance and the ability to actually grow those skills in service of the Marine Corps would be incredible. And we don't have that right now, right? And and that may transition us perfectly into my my last real question here. But Rich, you've talked about the need for a requirement. I'm going to come in as an outsider right now and say, is there an existing requirement for any software development in the Marine Corps? Yeah. So Kyle, thank you for asking that question. Uh, so, the, so there is the, sh the short answer is there is right. So 
The um, communications MOS, uh, so what the Marine Corps knows as the 06 insert set of two-digit integers after that, right? So 06XX community, they do have a, a codified requirement to produce what are known as cyber application development personnel, right? Or cyber application developers. That MOS is the 0673 MOS. And here's what I think is both awesome and then some like area growth areas or areas of opportunity for, for that NMOS, right? Um, first, uh, I think it's awesome that the logic is we have some technical people in the 06 community that like we don't have to put through a whole bunch of training to our earlier points about training, money, the Marine Corps, joint solutions. Um, and so you can come from the 06 field and become the cyber application developer and get that MOS with limited training after that. Uh, that's funded by the Marine Corps. Uh, but the, the the growth opportunity that I see is we've kind of limited that to the 06 community, right? And so the, the reason why I say that is if you look, like just a couple data points, right? If you look at how the Marine Corps does recruiting, right? Like we understand that the Marine Corps is a microcosm of society, meaning the basic skill sets that citizens of the United States or those who choose to like naturalize because there's a lot of Marines that come into the Marine Corps that aren't citizens and naturalized that process, right? Um, bring to the fight, they're going to innately have these technical skills. Like we just have to realize technical skills. It's kind of like the conversation we had with General Pasagian when we talked about IT not being a commodity anymore. It's like a natural resource, right? Just like power, electric power is a natural resource where Back in the day, there were people who knew how to do things like put telephone poles up and have electric power grids extended across, you know, you know, the continental United States and blah, blah, blah. But my point is it, it's become a resource, not a commodity, right, anymore. So why would we limit internally which Marine has the skill set to become a coder? Right, or to become an application developer. I just think that's a growth area. It's not that the Marine Corps did it wrong. They had to start somewhere, right? And, and believe me, I am not. If you work at headquarters Marine Corps and your job right now is to be an occupational manager for any one of our military occupational fields, this is not me poking you in the eye saying you failed. It's not. This is a call to arms for the technicians and the technology professionals in the Marine Corps to say, I have this skill, Marine Corps. How do you want me to register that as something that you could take advantage of, right? Whether that's me going into a system of record like MOL saying, I have these coding skills, boom, right? Or it's, hey, I would like to apply for this MOS. I believe I meet those that skill set for this reason and submit some sort of request to you at headquarters Marine Corps to process that, right? Um, I can tell you that, you know, the, the Marine Corps likes to push its most talented people out to the edge, right, to the forward edge of the battle area. So we purposely don't keep a lot of uh, folks at headquarters Marine Corps. And we have a very small headquarters element just because that's the way the Marine Corps operates, which I completely believe in philosophically. But we have to have a way to grant people the things that they believe in and will retain them. So for example, and then I promise I'll, I will shut up because we could rant on this forever, right? But when aviation became a thing in the Department of Defense for the United States of America, we did small things, right? We took a little bit of metal and shaped it into a set of aviation wings and said, here you go. When you pass flight school, you get this thing, you can wear it on your chest. It denotes you as having a special skill, right? And I think Napoleon was the first person to say this, like what somebody will do uh, at the cost of their own personal safety for a ribbon or something to put on their chest, right? Rich's paraphrase of, of Napoleon there. Like my, my thought process is if we can grant somebody an MOS, right, which is a set of integers in a system for human resource management in the Marine Corps, and if that's what will retain them, and we're arguing about that as a set of leaders, like that's absolutely ridiculous to me, right? And I'm sure, you know, 
old daggers and, and K bars come out like focused on on Rich right after this cast hits publicly. I invite you to come sling, uh, come on the cast and sling those daggers at me. Like I think it's pretty popular now. Axe throwing is like a new. It's like, it's like a new craze, right? Like c- come throw your axes, no matter what rank you are in the Marine Corps. Like reach out to me. Come on and tell me that it's a bad idea to give somebody an MOS in order to retain them or or that we spend the minimal amount of money it is to create a warfare device to let them wear on their uniform. And, I, and I'm a traditional Marine in the sense of like, I don't like flair, right? I like the Eagle Globe and Anchor and that's my thing. I love it, right? But but let's be honest, right? Like if we have a retention problem and we're not trying to figure that out with the most basic means necessary to retain people, we should think about that for a minute because it might be worth thinking about. So just my thoughts. I mean, Kyle, you're an outsider. What are your thoughts here? Well, first and foremost, I love me some flair. Uh, 31 pieces of flair and a winning smile is my motto for life for the most part. And if anyone remembers when I was in, I was always the guy that signed his email signature with like the 42 different certifications that I had. Uh, and and, and uh, keep it classy, I believe. And stay classy was always what I ended it with. Uh, one John Schreiner was also uh, heavily competitive with me on email signature uh, certification ribbons, if you will. And the quote is a soldier will fight long and hard for a bit of colored ribbon rich. And I love that thought, right? Like, give me a little one zero one one zero emblem that I can drop on my blues above my ribbons or something. And that means something to people. It really does. And it's little stuff like that that shows that the Marine Corps has invested in you and your future and what you do and values it. I, I think that is an elegantly simple solution to a very complex problem or potentially one anyway. I also want to call out for those of you who may listen irregularly to this cast. This is rich at passion level 11. Um, and we didn't have knife hands in, in their purest form. We had knife hands on fire. Rich was in fuego in, in his knife handing over the last 10 minutes. So thank you, Rich. Uh, as always, we appreciate it. If they couldn't see it, they could hear it, though. Uh, but hey, it, it's been a minute and we've been going for a, a while. Eric, I wanted to give you a chance weigh in. You heard a bunch of stuff. Anything you wanted to comment here? Yeah, I'll just put a stake in this one real quick. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that the supply is there, right? We have highly technical Marines that want to do highly technical labor. Um, they're already there. They work for us. They're in the building. Uh, they sit next to us, maybe. Um, the demand is there, right? There's hard problems that demand technical solutions that we we, we need people to solve. Um, so, you know, us, us as, as leaders need to need to solve this problem and, you know, link the two together. So that, that's, that's my, that was my ask to Rich, uh, the other day. And that's, that's my ask to anybody on the cast who's, you know, listening that could can help us solve this problem. Thanks. Yeah. And, and Eric, I, I just want to say something to, to the listeners because <laughs> to, to, to Cal's point about being, uh, in Fuego, right. He's on fire NBA jam because we talked about games, our last cast. So my point is like, I'm willing to do this work, right? Like, I have no problem taking on the burden of trying to, to, to get this across the finish line. What I mean by this is like, whatever the retention solution is, like I'll do the things right. Like, but what I'm asking, I think is like for us as a community of technology professionals to say, this is what we want. Right. And, and I think, I think we're trying to do that. I think we're building a groundswell for this. Um, so, so anyhow, um, I'll leave it at that. I'm willing to do the work. As I said before, if, if anybody proposes something, it's not for other people to do the work. It's for them to pick an oar up and start rowing, and I'll row. Easy day. Somebody else could be at the head of that bow telling me how fast to row, and I will row like a maniac. So those of you up there at Headquarters Marine Corps, if you want me to row like a maniac, I will row like a maniac. That's right. We got a boat. <laughs> wow. That, that was a lot. There's rowing, there's boats, there's MOSs. It's, it's glorious. Uh, Kyle, did you have any uh, last thoughts before we uh, head to wrap up here? This has been an interesting episode of lots of passion, I think, um, violent agreement amongst the hosts and Eric, uh, our, our incredible guest today. And I think that if I'm going to kind of get my hot take out of the way here, it's that we as a nation have a responsibility to protect everything right? The entire home front, everything that we have, our branches of service and et cetera. And every Marine takes that responsibility quite seriously. I, as a civilian, 
who does a ton of eating, sleeping, and breathing in the cyber world, reads all the books, listens to the, or listens to the podcast, you know, reads the blogs, is active on reading Twitter feeds and all these, you know, notifications of zero day and exploits and blah, 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 blah. I'm super duper personally scared of our ability to compete at the global level against most of our very competent adversaries. Now, I get to say that as someone who doesn't actually work at Marfor Cyber or anything like that and as an outside person. And so I feel quite strongly that anything we can do to bolster our own internal capabilities to retain Marines who are passionate about this can do nothing more than help. And especially given recent geopolitical events, I think that anything that we do as a service in light of the Commandant's 30-year plan right now is a net positive. And anyone who listens to this cast who has any sort of influence whatsoever on these things, take it from a civilian uh, you know, take it from somebody who was in for a while, who was that passionate Marine. Um, this is good. And please try to make this a thing. So ladies and gentlemen, that was Kyle's hot take. Now the question is, this has been essentially a cast of Rich throwing knife hands the entire time. Mm -hmm. Is there a Rich's knife hand for Rich's knife hands? How does that work? And do we have to tell him that he's got to fit it into like 30 words or less or something? I mean, Ooh. I just feel like this could be a 10 minute knife hand. Again. Ooh, that sounds like a knife hand challenge. Yes. So I, I guess the answer to that question is this. There is no knife hand moments to top all the knife hand moments. This is a plea and a call for action. If you are passionate as a technology professional in the Marine Corps, please, please get involved and pick up an oar because this is not a headquarters Marine Corps problem. This is an us problem to solve. And I really feel like we can grassroots our way into retention. And more importantly, we can grassroots our way into putting the right people against the most challenging problems. There it is. There it is, John and Kyle, this very non-passionate objective call to arms for all of the amazing people we have working technology problems in the Marine Corps because to Eric's point, there are many. That was that was so zen. That was. And definitely under 30 words. I lost count at 85, but I tried to keep up. <laughs> Dear listeners, thank you for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review. You haven't been doing that. You need to do that. Make this happen. And we're out.